Hello and welcome to the Interfish Podcast, where we bring you the most interesting and compelling seafood news. I'm Editor-in-Chief Drew Cherry, and I'm joined by John Evans, reporter down in Brazil. Hi, John. Hello there, Drew. How's it going today? Everything's going well, and I'm also here with John Fiorillo, Executive Editor in Seattle. Hello, John. Hello. All right, so we're back. Uh, we're back after a hiatus John, you just finished uh, putting together a hefty report on sea lice, um, really comprehensive, um, and we want to talk today a bit about what you learned and how big of a problem is and what, what's being done to, to combat it. So um, what were sort of your, your key takeaways from your research on it? Well, uh, when I went to the, uh, the sea lice conference um, before, or just at the, the turn of the year, I didn't really know anything about sea lice, to be quite frank with you. So it was, it was, a, it was a very much an education uh, going into this uh, report, which I think the report itself is as, as well. And uh, uh, one of the key takeaways, as uh, John and myself uh, calculated, um, was that um, estimates do vary widely um, on the cost of, the, uh, of sea lice to the industry every year but they they are as low as 600 million and um, they're on the way to being twice as much uh, 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 that total so is that uh that is on health costs uh for uh treatment as well as losses then yes uh, that's losses really everything in there i mean it's based on um you know annual um annual uh, production of 2.3 million tons of salmon globally we took the mitigation costs of um, cited by uh, marine harvest at 38 euro cents, and it came out uh, with the, with the um, with the uh, conversion fees, uh, conversion rate, I should say, uh, at about close to a billion dollars. That's uh, 874, 875 million euros a year. And um, if you look at the Ch- the Chilean salmon farm industry alone, that's uh, $350 million in, um, in costs, losses uh, annually. So it's kind of staggering amounts, really. Um, a lot's changed in sea lice mitigation. Um, tell us a little bit about, uh, about where, uh, where it started. Well, um, the industry came up with the, um, the chemical, uh, the chemical uh, treatment uh, methods of fighting sea lice and thought it, it had found itself a, a, a silver bullet uh, with the chemical treatments but unfortunately that came back to bite with a vengeance as uh, resistance to chemical treatments built up which has been a real wake-up call for the salmon farming industry um, really over the last uh, possibly last decade or so. So give us a sense of just how widespread geographically the problem has become. All the major production countries, uh, Norway, Scotland, Canada, Ireland, Chile, have had problems with it to varying degrees and within different geographical areas. Uh, Also, some areas, for example, the east coast of Canada, have been quicker to adopt more modern treatment methods than, say, the the west coast uh, of Canada uh, have done. So what are some of those, uh, the newer and more novel treatments that are coming for, uh, for sea lice right now? Companies, um, to varying degrees, and, and as I said, by um, varying geographic areas, um, have uh, moved to uh, try to move away from the chemical treatments, in, in, more towards um, what are termed uh, 
mechanical methods, um, also other, other methods as well, such as deploying uh, lump sucker fish in cages um, uh, to uh, do, do just that, really, suck, suck away the fish. And some um, salmon, uh, salmon farming companies have even um, resorted to producing their own uh, lump sucker uh, fish and uh, are moving towards uh, self-sufficiency in that. Going back to the, the mechanical methods, hydrolyzer, water jet action um, type methods, for example, those are becoming increasingly popular, being, investments being made, but in, uh, particularly in Norway, on the, um, on the east coast of Canada, um, coming into Ireland, uh, and other methods using brushes, although um, companies are particularly um, concerned about causing st stress or physical damage to, uh, to fish, so that's, a, that's um, a consideration for them. And, and then we go sort of away from those uh, mechanical, more mechanical methods to freshwater baths and uh, sort of mixture of um, fresh water and seawater uh, together uh, to, to more sort of technological developments, laser lights, LEDs, um, snorkel cages which keep salmon in uh, deeper water columns and um, skirting which is essentially uh, canvas tarpaulins around the, the, the near the top of the cages which keep the, the sea lice um, away from the fish when they're at the, the top of the cages. The, the, the sea lice tend to uh, congregate closer to the, the top of the cages. Um, other developments, for example, Norway's Hauga Aqua has developed um, closed containment pens resembling giant eggs. Um, and if we look at some of the more uh, more uh, sort of uh, chemical, but not not in, in in chemical in the same way as uh, they were used before, uh, kind of treatments, uh, lu uh, lupineuron, a chitin synthesis inhibitor, um, used to treat fleas in domestic pets, has been used in agriculture for many years. And the uh, the company Alanco found that the administration of lupineuron in medicated feed uh, was well tolerated in uh, seven to four. 14-day uh, trialing. So there's plenty of things going on. And and um, at the Sea Lice Conference, um, there was lots of um, trialing being reported of various uh, chemical uh, methods and genetic uh, uh, genetic methods, and some of them which we, uh, we detail in the report. Um, some of them will um, make it to become uh, established methods. Others will probably fall by the wayside. So it looks like they're just sort of throwing a lot of different things at it, right? And um, it seems like a lot of the new methods, whether it's the farming methods or, uh, you know, a, a lot of the innovations and siting, um, a lot of that has to do with the mitigation of, of lice and, and trying to address what's become a huge, huge problem. So, yeah, and I, I think that's one, I think that's one thing that gets lost because there's, uh, you know, uh, salmon farming critics have really seized on the lice issue and built campaigns around it and continue to talk about it uh, quite a bit. But you never hear all of the money, all of the investment that's going into combat sea lice. Obviously, companies want to combat it because it hurts their production if it's not, uh, you know, managed or treated. But um, it's no small investment in into some of these mechanical operations and. 
You also have to look down to Chile and look at their new regulations. And their new regulations have sea lice mitigation built into them as far as your ability as a farmer to increase your biomass from year to year. So, um, you know, the, the popular view from outside the industry is that sea lice are rampant and nothing's being done and, you know, that type of, uh, that type of narrative. But uh, the exact opposite is what is, what is reality. I mean, the report is very com comprehensive. And if you're trying to understand this really important issue in salmon aquaculture, um, this is this is your way to do it. Yeah, well, it's a it's a fantastic report, and John, thanks for putting all the the work and time into it. And uh, I think if anything, uh, I think all this intense competition uh, and this innovation that we're seeing in the space uh, is going to lead to some breakthrough uh, some breakthrough solutions. So the nice thing is that. Um, like you said, John, it's not a problem that's, um, that salmon farmers are taking lightly, given the intense cost that, um, that they pay. So, um, yeah, so it'll be interesting to follow all these developments and, and see what comes out of it and how much they're able to tackle this issue. But I think it's fair to say it's the number one issue that the industry is facing um, from a financial perspective, for sure. But also, it's kind of one of the lingering things out there that uh, critics of salmon farming continue to, to point to. Yeah, I, I think it's something that we will maybe need to come back to in, in, in future reports, three, two, three, four years down the line, because the, 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 the technology will change and the, and the way that the companies are combating it will change as well. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let's move on to uh, to uh, criticism of salmon farming since we're kind of on the topic. The clothing giant Patagonia came out uh, with a interesting campaign. They have launched a film uh, called Artificial, and it's playing uh, around their stores. And John, you were on top of this. Uh, tell us a bit about the film. Tell us a bit about what they were trying to accomplish and what did and didn't go right about this campaign. Yeah, so um, our journalists in Norway were the first to see it from our team. And, um, you, you know, in, in a nutshell, it takes, uh, it takes to task the whole idea of hatchery-raised salmon to supplement wild runs, um, as is done in Alaska and elsewhere. And then it kind of veers off and uh, sways into uh, net pen farming and its impact on wild Atlantic salmon in places like Norway. So it's kind of a, a buckshot approach, but the, the walk away from it is, you know, there, there are a lot of problems with wild salmon and a farm salmon is not a solution. So. You know, it, obviously the industry <laughs> doesn't think a whole bunch of it uh, of it from from the outset, and these these showings are going on at uh, their stores in the U.S. and elsewhere in Europe and and those types of things. So it's drawn some criticism, and lo and behold, they also have a wild salmon product that they sell through their provisions uh, uh, division, which sells food related to the Patagonia philosophy of, you know, back, back to nature and that type of stuff. So 
Um, and those fisheries, one in Washington State and a couple in Alaska, they claim have no hatchery fish mixed in um, to the harvest. Well, I think the dangerous thing about these types of campaigns is that they can backfire pretty, pretty badly. And I think that um, already Patagonia is realizing that this is a very complex issue. Um, even people that, uh, that normally would be kind of, I guess what you'd call on brand with Patagonia have kind of come out and said, well, you know, this doesn't make, uh, this doesn't make sense to take, like you called John, this sort of shotgun approach. Um, love the wild CEO, Jacqueline Claudia on social media was kind of blasting the campaign. And then, um, just today, uh, clean fish. Yeah, clean fish, which is uh, they they supply small scale aquaculture um, species, a wide range of them, you know, to to buyers in the U.S. and elsewhere. And they launched a campaign built around hashtag beneficial, and um, the the original artificial um, documentary from from Patagonia spelled it F-I-S-H-A-L so the beneficial hashtag followed in that suit and they launched that today and um, you know they're trying to rally the industry the aquaculture sector in particular to respond with all the positive stories about aquaculture that we in this industry know but outside of our little world, they, they don't really get out. So you have a big popular clothing brand like Patagonia, which they have a way to reach millions just no matter what. They can just say something and it, it has impact. We don't have that impact as, as a seafood sector. Um, so the uh, clean fish is encouraging through social media campaign to start telling those stories and hopefully get get the word out in, in some form or fashion. I mean, I think that the aquaculture industry is better prepared than ever for these types of campaigns, whether or not uh, they can go up against, you know, the, the kind of market power of some of these brands that, that may get on a kick about uh, criticizing the industry in one way or another, whether or not they have that kind of power um, I, I, I don't think they're anywhere near that yet, but I will say that groups like GAA and, um, and some of the companies themselves are more, uh, prepared to defend themselves, uh, I think than they have in the past. So a campaign like this is going to be, um, it, it's going to be interesting to see how it affects, uh, perception of both wild and farm salmon because they kind of managed to <laughs> manage to um, mess with both of them in this campaign um, but it shows the dangers too of not having uh, good sources of information um, readily available when it comes to these larger uh, brands and I guess that again is maybe something that GAA is working on with their work but um, still it's kind of remarkable there's a lot of misinformation out there and um, one or two NGOs can still make a, a big, big difference. I guess the question is um, whether or not that misinformation actually translates into less seafood consumption, which I think it's arguable that it doesn't. It, it, it may not, but let, let's, let's just 
back up for a second and realize the size of the aquaculture industry, the scale of where it's headed as far as a producer, and sit there in wonderment a little bit, at least I do, that there is no, there is no voice to respond to for the Patagonia thing or any of the myriad of other attacks on this industry. So while, I mean, t you know, tip my hat to clean fish for just getting out there and doing something, but, you know, you gotta be left with the thought of, wow, there's, we have no, no group to respond in a holistic way to all the wonderful things going on in aquaculture, all the investment. I mean, the millions of dollars in investment in technology in aquaculture alone has to rival most any food production uh, sector that I can think of. But, you know, if you, don't, if you don't have somebody to communicate those stories, they, they just, they stay right where they are within the sector itself, within our little industry. So... Again, hats off to Cleanfish, but not sure it's their job to do this because there should be somebody, some bigger group to handle these crises when they come along. If it's if it can be called a crisis, it's probably not that at this point. But I mean, it'll blow over. You know, I'm not sure what impact this is actually going to have. I'm a little skeptical that it's going to have much of an impact. And I think Patagonia sort of did this off the cuff. I don't think they really intended for it to have the impact that it did or to raise the ire uh, of people as much as it did. Um, but I, I agree that there probably is a, a crisis response uh, lesson to be learned for the aquaculture industry. But probably even more than that is they, they um, as a sector, the salmon farming sector, probably needs to work on outreach because a lot of this work is done even before these groups come out and make these statements. I think, I think aquaculture, the sector has done that um, better and better year after year. Um, but, you know, this also has the ramifications on the Alaska wild uh, producers because you know, the hat, it shines a, a pretty bright light on hatcheries in, a, in, I guess, what you would say is a negative way. And, you know, I, I don't know the exact number, but it's in the 30% range of the wild production out of Alaska that is um, hatchery derived. There does seem to be uh, at least a growing, uh, a growing voice within the NGO community to start investigating how hatcheries impact wild uh, stocks uh, more. And I, I thought it had quieted down until Patagonia came out with its campaign, and I um, kind of see it's probably not going away. So at some point, I do believe there is a major long-term report that the Alaska Department of Fishing Game is doing on hatcheries and hatchery impacts, I think. Um, but it, it'll be interesting to see when, when, um, when those discussions continue, how the NGO community gets split on. Well, all right, we'll leave it there. Uh, thanks everyone for joining and thank you, John, again, for the work on your report. You can find plenty more about the report on intrafish.com along with all of our daily news, which we are delivering to you from bureaus in Asia, in the UK, Norway and here in the US. You can visit our site, sign up for our newsletters, that's the best way to keep up with us, and you can keep track of us on social media as well, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, etc. All right, thanks for joining us everybody, and we will be back at you next week.